Welcome to the AMR Studio, a podcast dedicated to the multidisciplinary research on antimicrobial resistance, hosted by the Uppsala Antibiotic Center. Hi, I am Eva Garmendia. And I am Elin Fermier. Hello, everyone. I hope you have as nice of weather as we have here. Today, you're going to listen to a super interesting interview that Eva made with Sophia Wood, the 30th of May. And throughout the interview, you will hear Svensk 10 being mentioned a lot. So I just wanted to tell you all that that is a very famous Swedish interior design store. Just so you know, so get a bit clarity into the actual interview. Enjoy! Hi, dear listeners. I am very, very happy today to be sitting here with Sophia Wood, an artist and teacher that I met at the last meeting that REACT organized in Uppsala, the dialogue meeting on AMR. And today we're going to talk about a very, very interesting project that she's been involved this year and that I'm really looking forward for you, all of you out there to learn about. Sofia, thank you so much for agreeing to this interview. Can you introduce yourself to our audience? Oh, thank you so much, Eva, for having me. And my name is Sofia Wood, and I am teacher at Beckman's College of Design here in Stockholm. And when I'm not teaching, I also work with exhibition design, and I have been exploring for the last nine years when I've been back in Sweden, because I've lived in London for many years and in New York for a while. Uh, but having coming back to Sweden, I've worked very closely with a friend of mine who is an artist and a uh, designer, and we worked on exhibition design and also on quite experimental interdisciplinary projects. So this is my latest venture in working in this field with the students. Mm -hmm. So this is really super fun. Yes, exactly. This is uh, one of the reasons why you're here today is because you've been involved in a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary project, bringing together researchers, scientists, artists, students, and you as a coordinator as well and teacher kind of bringing together and collaborating to create an awesome exhibition about AMR, antimicrobial resistance. Can you tell us a little bit about this project, which its name is Are We There Yet? Can you tell us what it is? How did it come up? So this project is a yearly collaboration project between the design students, the second year design students on the the BA program and researchers from the Bayer Institute that belongs to the Royal Society of um, Scientists, I believe it's called in English. And um, the project has been going on since 2017, I think it was started. And it was initiated because the former head of program is closely affiliated with Svens 10. And so the Svens 10 part of the project is because Svens 10 is owned by the foundation, the Bayer Institute Foundation, and therefore all the profits that Svens 10, which is a very fancy, lovely shop of good quality and beautiful furnishings and interior objects, all the money that they um, sort of all the profits go towards research. So they want to celebrate the collaboration and the sort of um, the whole point of Svens 10 doing this yearly is to celebrate the fact that they really want to uh, 
put an emphasis on the need of science and the arts meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they celebrate this through this collaboration that the students do with the scientists. And each year it's a different topic. Mm -hmm. And this year we were presented with the topic of antibiotic resistance, which is super topical, really important and something that I think both me as a as a, an older person and a teacher and the students, we all feel that it's really beautiful how we can get a chance to work with something so important and really work alongside and with and really together with the scientists, not just simply translating what they're saying or what research has proven, but also to interpret and find new ways and new platforms and new meeting points of uh, sharing this information and sharing the research in a more emotional way (laughs) rather than purely factual and rational and intellectual way, which is why it's really exciting. And, And also, I think the whole point of the project is to dive into something that is really complicated quite hard to understand quite difficult to kind of process Mm -hmm. and also understand the different layers of what it means for us as a society what it means for us as individuals how we can do something actively collectively to Mm -hmm. to change and and to perhaps put a hold to something that looks like it's just like zooming into a very dangerous situation for all of us Mm -hmm. and I think that's why it's been really meaningful for us to get involved with this and although I have to say that you can only scratch the surface when you do a project for such a short time because it's only like a six-week project or five-week project in fact however this year we've pushed it quite hard and um expanded on project because I think everyone got very excited and I think me being you know the captain of this sort of sailboat I think we've uh, tried to do um, a little bit extra mainly because we, we all got very excited and felt that there was something valuable and valid to mm-hmm. do yeah I guess you know it's very often we talk antibiotic resistance antimicrobial resistance is a is a scientific issue you know we are studying it and researching it and looking for solutions from the science part but it's equally also a societal issue right we wouldn't be in the situation we are if it wasn't for how we relate to one another how we relate to our antibiotics as as goods as things that we use so it's not only just about bring into the public the beauty of the science behind it, which is there, but it's also about learning that we have a role to play, but we have also played a role for getting to the place that we are today and how can we change the trajectory of where we're going, right? So I feel like for you as an artist, I also very in tune with the arts world. It feels like there is even something else there that you can do that is not just translating the knowledge from the scientific area into the artistic area and then evoking emotions, but it's also about action in a sense. Like how can we 
maybe inside that action and that excitement that you are feeling when you are learning about this and working with it is like how can I get people to feel the same way I'm feeling right now I would assume that that's kind of part part of it and how it might be a slightly different than working with other scientific projects perhaps so if we go into talking a little bit more about this project in particular I would like to start by asking you about the title. So why the title Are We There Yet? We had a long discussion and I think all of the scientists were frustrated by the students wanting to call it that because they said we're there, we're beyond there, we're there, we've reached that point ages ago and they wanted to address it as the silent pandemic. I think the students working with communication felt like we're fed up with hearing about pandemic, the pandemic. We we don't want to talk about it because there's a resistance in us as a collective. It's not boring, but it's frustrating. Uh, it's something that you've been overwhelmed with. So they wanted to find a different angle of, of pushing towards the idea of misunderstandings and pushing towards the fact that scientists tend to be ignored and tend to be misunderstood. And the fact that us as a collective, we think, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's good. We're, we're good. We can, we can do this. But I think the title, Are We There Yet?, puts an emphasis on on the sort of misconceived idea or the misconceptions. And there's a major piece in the one of the seven pieces, which is sort of a choir of different voices and different aspects on how we tend to see certain things, avoid certain things, react to almost like the Tivoli that we have in our phones and in online that we are bombarded with a lot of false information, a lot of misinformation and how we as a collective tend to sort of swallow, swallow a lot of stuff and be sort of blinded by that initial bombardment. <laughs> and Instead of taking time and being careful and taking the time to read the small print and really get into a topic and, and understand <laughs> the fact that you need to get the whole picture yeah which I think we tend not to do because we just we consume information very fast I feel like also so to me so if I give you my perspective of what the are we there yet kind of evokes is yeah. that we as humans if we talk about the human condition perhaps we are always looking forward to the next thing like we're always we are not in the moment, which relates to what you're saying about the information and getting the whole picture. But to me, it's also about the temporality of the thing. We are always talking, is the silent pandemic? We don't know it. Is it coming? What's going to happen? What's in the future? We work scientifically with projections. What's going to happen in 2050? And I think by focusing on the future, which in part is needed to come to solutions, but we are missing and kind of not having in our outlook what's happening now which is where we are also trying to move the narrative from what is going to happen in the future if we don't do anything it's going to be terrific to know look nowadays there is a lot of people dying because there are resistant infections so i feel like to me the the title talks about the lack of of consciousness on what's happening now and the lack of of being mindful about what's happening and 
always we're always kind of are we there yet is it the future what's happening what's the next step right so i think it's very beautiful in that sense that it kind of yeah talks about like okay should we pay attention to what is here and now rather than what is there and in the future and then together with your with your view that is about the whole picture i, I think it fits really well so yeah so you get the perspective of someone from the outside of how these are we there yet kind of is seen from possible perspective i love that i i love that you see that eva and i love that you have that perspective because i think that's generally what's so frustrating that we can't see what we can we say that we should be in the moment but we 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 aren't and we always try to we chase something constantly yeah forward and, and not really wanting to be responsible for what that present moment is and can do and if we calm down a little bit and just see what can we do with what we have at the moment to be resourceful mm -hmm. and I think that to always chase something is kind of frightening and why this situation has come to be mm -hmm. in a way because it's it's a very human uh, sort of natural human instinct to to yes. have that drive forward drive yeah exactly all right I'm very interesting to to learn a little bit about your process i do not know how much background or information or knowledge you had previously to starting this collaboration about the the fact that there are infections that are resistant to antibiotics so i want you to tell me a little bit once you are were commissioned to work on this and you as a teacher and the captain of your student group how do you go about it how do you establish that collaboration and work with the scientists and work with your students how do you manage all that I think it, it's a very organic thing, first of all. I think you have to go in with a lot of trust and a lot of faith in the process and also a very open mind. And I think what was really beautiful, particularly in this process, was the fact that the scientists that we were allocated and who worked with us were incredibly generous with their knowledge and very, very open also to the fact that this would be a collaboration, not that they would serve us with facts and information and that we would then illustrate it, but quite the opposite, that it would be a meeting of two quite disparate disciplines, but who are very, very similar anyway. And a genuine curiosity from both parties. The students knew a little bit, I knew a little bit, they knew a lot. So they were able to instigate the project with giving us a morning of um, lectures, can we say, or small talks about different angles on the situation, on the challenges and problematic sort of aspects of things and how it's like diving into different points of view mm -hmm. which served as sort of injections into the students thought processes how do we communicate this because I think one thing that I thought was really particularly interesting in the meeting with the scientists were the fact that everything is important <laughs> and the fact that as a student working with design and communication you need to find what is the most important thing and what what moves me 
Mm-hmm. What do I connect with? Mm-hmm. And uh, we worked in pairs and, and because of personalities, because of different viewpoints, because of different points of interest, I think different things interested different pairs. And that's why it became a chorus or like a choir of different voices. We did seven pieces and it was really lovely to see how they all took shape or formed were formed throughout the conversations with the researchers and the scientists because it was a dialogue throughout the whole five-week project Mm -hmm. with students asking questions asking questions asking questions to try to understand more and more and the further we went into the project the deeper we could reach a little bit beyond the rationale and and find that sort of heart and the more sort of uh, emotional aspect of of why this is so important to talk about and I also think that the researchers and the scientists were really intrigued in seeing what the students saw or Mm -hmm. learned from it I think so that that kind of exchange was a very for me was really really inspiring it was about honing into certain things because I think initially it's a, like a little it's almost like finding a diamond in a raw sort of <laughs> situation you have to you have to chop into it you have to really find it you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily just open up immediately yeah some, some of the works were really quite hard work to be honest yeah so I I see it I don't know how it w- would have been for the students it would have maybe I get the opportunity to talk to some of them but it's you you get presented as you were saying first with the with the facts you know there were a couple some in a morning some talks about and I guess every researcher will have also its vision of like what are they working with so it might be relatively more important or not just because they know more about it and then I guess the students will have to put things together in a bit of a puzzle way and once you have the puzzle then you start peeling the layers or asking questions about but would this maybe work this other way or why do you think we have gotten to this situation for this particular aspect of it but I I do think that it's uh, it gives the possibility for a lot of different angles because the problem in itself is so complex and the possible solutions are also so varied and different right that it also is great to see what the students what each one of the students um, thought it was more important for them as human beings and, and the designers and the artists of the pieces, right? So I guess you could say that in every piece that is presented in this exhibition, it's a bit of the soul of the artist as well when it relates to how to talk about antibiotic resistance, right? True, 100% true. And I think that's why it was so exciting to sort of lead it and work with the students and also the conversations that we had were evolving throughout the projects. I think initially it was overwhelming because it's a huge topic and something so kind of complex that I think finding small angles and sort of distilling that particular point of view and finding the the real heart and the source of that particular angle also was a really hard or interesting thing for the students to um, work with and therefore it was very important also that it was a constant dialogue with the researchers and the scientists that they till the very last minute came in and spoke with us how we could tweak certain things to really make a point without 
interfering with their artistic integrity, mm -hmm. but also to make it meaningful in a communicative way. Mm -hmm. How do we reach a wider audience? What are our roles in this? Because the students work as bridges for the scientists to sort of find new touch points with a different audience. And also to think about the different locations where we have shown the show because in that sense also it's like okay so you are at the react meeting in Uppsala where everyone is initiated everyone knows about the topic and everybody can read in really clearly what this is about and at the Royal Academy of Science where everyone is a researcher everyone knows the topic really well and they speak with you know, Carl von Linné, like all the old, so it's like the new and the old meeting. Mm -hmm. um, the you know, it was really beautiful to see the old busts of the old uh, scientists <laughs> working together with the, with the students' interpretations. And then to put it in a shop context where the viewers may be on the way to buy a tray or a sofa or a piece of fabric mm -hmm. you know so you have to connect to the audience in different ways so you have to be on the one hand really direct and very clear and then you have to be able to show the different layers so it's not all that flat surface work but it's actually built on something that is solid so that a researcher can respect and be intrigued yeah as well. thinking about the different setups where this exhibition was going to be placed i think it even makes it even more challenging because as you're saying you you have to tap into the expert but also you have to kind of make the past buyer that is not really going there for that to maybe pick an interest and say like oh this uh, I didn't really know about this what does it mean and so yeah kudos to your students for trying to like gather all that together it's definitely not an easy easy feat talking more about the practical things about the project we will leave uh, obviously links and photos and descriptions so anybody that is listening to this right now you can go in and actually connect with the pieces as well but did your students have complete freedom when it came to what kind of media what kind of materials how to interpret their own piece or did they have some sort of limitations there I think the only limitation was their own Mind. their own minds. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, jokes aside, I think we tried to break away from a typical screen-based solution. So this year we have worked quite sculptural mm -hmm. and all the pieces are freestanding. Some of them are with moving image and some of them are more sculptural. But I think it was a wish both from Sven's 10 and from the students to be able to work more physically and find ways of communicating. Some of them are very direct and some of them are a bit more complicated and perhaps harder to get and a little bit more sort of uh, gritty or what <laughs> can we say, like poetic. Mm -hmm. So I think it was uh, the only criteria was that, well, we, we have a specific budget, we have a specific mm -hmm. time frame, but yeah, the rest was all up to the students. And I think that was really exciting because yeah. we really pushed pushed it this year. I saw the one piece you brought to Uppsala and then the representations of the other ones that weren't there in person from the other ones. And I think it's an 
eclectic of sorts. There is very different kind of pieces, but I think that's the beauty that they seemingly so different, but they are connected for a specific way, which I think in itself is also a metaphor for AMR, yeah, for resistance, you know, how, how different pockets actually are connected in a way. So yeah, I was I was surprised that it was so varied. So I assumed that, you know, the students could really do whatever they felt it was most uh, appropriate for the particular thing they wanted to communicate or create or even that the students might like to work in different media different students might might prefer different materials and different kind of things so it's it's wonderful moving a little bit further on perhaps the impact that working on this uh, project has brought to to you personally to your students to your to your classroom can you tell us what sort of inspiration this has brought to your work and perhaps to your future endeavors i think it really has opened up it's been a not necessarily a pilot because it's been done before but in this particular context and and perhaps because of where we are in time at the moment there is a need, there's like a crying out for all of us to collaborate and all of us to merge our, our disciplines and work across countries, uh, work across ages, work across disciplines, work across mediums, because there's such a complete sense of urgency in life at the moment for the entire world I think everyone just feels like we need to collaborate we're in this together we're all connected we just need to make sure that we utilize our own skills and capacities to kind of help each other to reach out and to create an understanding of what we all need to do and what we all can do I think that's why it's so meaningful and why it's interesting to keep finding these meeting points where we can just finished another project with uh, with my other students that we have worked with space technology to save wildlife so there's like lots of different little nodes and meeting points that we can all connect and and sort of expand on and uh, collaborate with so I think yeah this is pretty much all I want to do from now on to be <laughs> working the interface between the yeah. area and the spaces and yeah and I think it's like and why I thought it was really beautiful for the students was to ask them all what are you interested in because everyone is interested in slightly different things but to find that and to find your own personal heart in a project is why then you invest so much sincerity and hard work into into something and I think if we all do that if everything that we do carry that kind of meaning then it will become meaningful and make make work that uh, that sort of has value Mm -hmm. so would you say that you know the not purpose but one of the outcomes of bringing together these seemingly very different disciplines like art and scientific issues scientific questions and societal challenges like it could be antimicrobial resistance in part it serves the design community in this case your students because it it's a venue for them to put their heart out and their wishes and the things that they are interested in but on the other side an outcome is to inspire whoever is there to to witness it to see the result of that collaboration right and then hopefully that will carry on with whatever 
these people do in, in their work, in their own lives, in their relationship, in their communications with other people. I see it that that is a way of how, why this, this work and this collaboration is important in particular. I also think it's democracy. I think it's about society. I think it's about the whole world. I think it's about us seeing that we're connected, that whatever happens elsewhere inflicts on what I do here. And we're not separate. We're mm -hmm. all connected. And I think if the students see this, if if we all collaborate, then we also join forces throughout the globe to kind of make a difference and shape a future that is better than this kind of chopped up, bordered, kind of disparate, disconnected point of view. Mm -hmm. So I think that is why we need to work like this and why this is the way forward. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Uh, it's very inspiring. And I'm actually very happy to learn about this collaboration that is Svensk 10, which is a, a design shop, you know, a design area has done for some time now and then also the profits will go revert back to scientific endeavors which is lovely i didn't really know about this initiative so i'm very very happy to have learned about it here with you wonderful sadly we are almost reaching the end of our interview here time together uh, i hope it's not the last time that we get to talk and maybe even work together i'm very very interested in what you're doing but i wanted to open up this uh, sound stage for you to our audience is there anything else that you would like our listeners to be aware of or be in the lookout for or anything that you want to share that we didn't touch up on on our conversation First of all, thank you for having me. That's It's been such an honor and really joyous to talk to you. I would love for your viewers to come and see the exhibition that is on from the 9th until the 17th of June in Stockholm, if they have the chance. And if they don't live nearby or can travel, we have created a special little website for the project that we hope will expand through other collaborations and other endeavors that we hoped will take part from this year on. Sort of a little archive site. But yeah, in all honesty, I think if we all help, if we're all in this together and we know that we can join forces, we can make a better world for all of us. That's a wonderful, beautiful way to end up the interview. Thank you so much, Sophia. And we are on the lookout for what's coming. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eva. Hey everyone, welcome back from the interview. Just a quick note before we start delving into the topics of this interview. Sophia mentioned that she would have liked all of you to go and visit the exhibition that was happening at Svensk 10 at the beginning of June. Sadly, by the time this episode airs, the exhibition is finished. But we are very happy to tell you that there is a website that is dedicated to this exhibition and with all the pieces that were presented in these different exhibition locations and in Svensk 10. And you can go in there, uh, you can check the different pieces, read the descriptions, which were the same descriptions that were at the exhibitions. And you can also, in the show notes, check some of the photos that we took when we were there at the exhibition, yes. right? So, Ellen, I wanted to ask you, before we start with the interview itself, how was going to this exhibition for you? I am so glad that we actually had time to go there, that we managed to fit it in before it uh, ended. And I, I was very impressed. There are there were some very strong pieces there. And it's the first time for me to see 
like my research field represented in such a different media like, in such a in, different way right yeah it was super fascinating yeah so we put the people listening to us maybe make a mental image of how it was so Svenstian as you mentioned at the beginning is a very popular interior design store mm-hmm. a fancy one it's a fancy one it has very expensive and timeless pieces yes. I would say there mm-hmm. are uh, pieces from the 70s that are still as like up to date mm-hmm. as Mm-mm. The ones that are being made now, it's very good quality. Yes. Uh, but it's a very big store with a lot of different sections mm-hmm. from, you know, furniture to uh, personal uh, items to fabrics. They even have a cafe inside. So it's a, it's a very big location. So what they have done, which I thought it was lovely for people to be able to see the exhibition, is that it is right at the entrance of the entrance that is closest to town as well because mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. two entrances one that is closest to town then there is a long store and then there's <laughs> an entrance or exit at the other side the majority of the visitors come from the closest to town entrance yeah. and as soon as you came there then the first thing that you saw right in front of you was the poster in a very deep red mm-hmm. with the title are we there yet and then on your left side then you had the exhibition in a little corner with all these seven pieces there in presence yeah you couldn't miss it yeah you couldn't miss it so just imagine that you are there you went in and then you saw Mm. these things you are coming there because you just want to maybe get a souvenir because it's very popular Mm. fancy souvenir to bring back if you're a tourist or maybe you are um wanted to get a new centerpiece yep. and then suddenly you're there and you encountered this. I think that's brilliant. Yes, you really get hit with reality <laughs> right. Right straight away when right you walk in the into face, the door. Right. Yeah. I hope that all of you can just like, as we talk about this or maybe even before you are already checking the pieces, but what was your favorite piece, Ellen? Oh, there were so many great ones, but I think one that has really stuck with me is the Facing Our Future. And mm-hmm. uh, if I remember correctly, it was about death of babies due to uh, bacterial resistance. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a, like a, a ball mm-hmm. uh, and it was covered in like small baby faces. Yeah, it was quite strong. <laughs> it, was, it was very, very powerful and yeah, it really touched me. I still think about it to these days. And this was, uh, when was we there? Like two weeks ago or yeah. something? So yeah, it's very strong. Yeah, that is very interesting how each one of the students and the parent students actually chose to do something completely different. Yes. So it's a very, as I said, eclectic collection yeah. of things. To me, the one that stood up the most, I guess, maybe is the one that allowed me to be part of it as mm-hmm. well, not just as a viewer. They had this piece called Use With caution mm. which were three layers of a panel of different colors it was really colorful so I also like it because of that mm-hmm. and then the top layer had a little hole and you could move it around mm-hmm. and through the hole you could read the words that were written mm. around the second layer of it and it was nice that I could be part of like discovering something as I was moving so I felt like the piece was speaking to me, but I was also kind of part of creating the piece and getting the knowledge through the piece mm, mm. myself. So I thought that that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, I also thought it was cool that it, it's used with caution because they were implying like the antibiotics, the drugs, but yeah. you also had to be very cautious with the actual piece. Yeah, you didn't so know if you were no. allowed to touch it exactly. or not. Can so I, I actually it move was, this? It was, it was a little bit too ended. I mean, it was super cool. And yeah. it's beautiful also the colors and everything. Yeah. All the pieces were amazing. I am so, as you said, I'm so fascinated that they 
got so different perspectives mm-hmm. on the topic, right? Mm-hmm. There were so many different thoughts and angles and it turned out so different, the different pieces. Yeah, oh, it was good. Talking about the interview, mm-hmm. what were maybe your key takeaway points? Oh, there were many. I I really enjoyed hearing about my research topic in such a different way. Mm-hmm. A- and I love, I mean, I love this when you have multiple disciplinaries working together. I mean, that's mm-hmm. when we create magic, really. That's <laughs> when we really, things happen. Uh, and also, the way that Sofia encouraged them to to put in the emotional, the emotions into this very, like, hard, um, square topic, mm-hmm. right? And that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And And find what the students thought was the most important thing right to them yeah, yeah to, to each them. One of them because as scientists we think everything is important right <laughs> <laughs> all of it yeah when they ask us to rank it's like uh, no this is important but this is also important yeah. it depends on how you ask the question and now it was more like no this is what we really felt touched our hearts and emotions yeah right maybe that's how we should decide what's most important or not, right? <laughs> it's like what makes me feel more in a sense yeah i, I mean of course this this field comes with a lot of of feelings and and I mean, when you read about it and when you hear about it, you get frustrated and sad and also happy when we find new things. But this was very, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that really touched me. Yeah, it was it was great. I'm very happy that we get to meet these people that, you know, still are part Do, of... Are doing something different, yeah. right? <laughs> and I feel like, I think Sophia would agree with you that... Working in a multidisciplinary way has its uh, pain points yes. as well, but it has so much potential mm. that I think people get a little bit hooked. So she, mm. I think, mentioned, like, now I just want to work this way. Yes. I want to continue doing this kind of collaboration. And I'm so happy that she also pointed out that the collaboration, that there were curiosity from both parts. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you could imagine, like, yeah, the scientists are there, they're just telling about their science and da 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 but they were also interested in the student part, in the art part, like how to how to visualize this. And I, and I yeah. That I guess there's a lot of curiosity, right? Like yes. how are they going to do this? Yes. And what is what is it gonna be the most important thing for them? Yeah. And maybe and you have to give autonomy as well. You cannot just say, No, that's plain wrong. No, well, exactly. like you know, it's part of the process. Mm. So trusting the process, as you said, is, yes. seems important. So I can't no wait to see what comes out out of this. I think she's going to be involved with more things related with antibiotic resistance and I culture so. and uh, design and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very, very cool. Yes. And I also want to mention the name of the of the <laughs> exhibition because I think that was so fun that, <laughs> that they actually, that the students and the scientists maybe not really agreed <laughs> that um, are we there yet? That the scientists were like, yes, we are there. But I think the students saw it in a different way. And I can also agree with them that this, we have talked so much about pandemics, right? The COVID pandemic and everything, and it's still so fresh. And and I think that the term silent pandemic that we tend to use for AMR, it's not really silent anymore, is it? No. It's very, very active and out there and very... So present, I, yeah. Yeah, and very present. So I, I like that they picked another name and that they, the students stood by the decision. Yeah, they didn't say the silent tsunami or the no. silent pandemic. Exactly. No, we're moving there. And, and also, as, as I was maybe getting there with mm. asking her about the title and telling her what it meant to me, is that 
it's up for interpretation, right? Mm, Sometimes yes. as a, an artist, or in this case designers, and then you put a piece, a communicative piece out there, maybe the way that the receiver gets your message is a bit different than what yeah. you intended, but that's kind of part yeah. of the process uh, yeah, yeah. as well. And I think we need to do something different. We cannot keep just saying the silent pandemic and the silent pandemic. No, no we exactly. need to yeah. find other ways. And how you also talked about the fact that society needs to be aware. And we we know that, that the society needs to be aware and engaged, but also how we need to be aware of the future, the past, but also how it is now, mm-hmm. like the present. Yeah. And I think that was, I think you had a great talk there, a great analysis, you know, throwing back and forth between you two. Yeah, I had a good time. So mm. <laughs> that's good. I hope to keep in touch and then maybe yeah. going forward, mm. maybe with the center and their master students, our PhD students, maybe yes. they can do something that would be really cool. All right. Well, I think with this, we're going to move on to the new section, mm-hmm. which comes with uh, two very key points on policy which we have to talk about it sometimes mm-hmm. and a quite a complex scientific article to talk about yes yeah let's stay go tuned welcome to the new sections for this uh, july month episode so ellen let's start with the complex and very sciencey topic of the day can you tell us what paper are you bringing us Yes, last uh, month I brought you a very complex paper and now I'm doing it again. (laughs) It's a complex but interesting paper. So the title of the paper is Drugging Evolution of Antibiotic Resistance at a Regulatory Network Hub. And it was published in Science Advances at the 23rd of June. So Mm -hmm. it's very recent. Very recent Mm -hmm. indeed. So the title already tells us something, but it's mm. uh, also maybe not the most direct title out there. No, right? and and it's um, I'm going to try to explain the uh, idea of the uh, paper and also try to explain in a little bit easier way what they have done, because as I said, it is quite a complex paper. Yeah, it is very technical. Yeah, it's very technical, so, but we will keep it light and uh, try to make it a little easier yeah. to understand. So the whole idea is that they want to find a drug that can slow down the rate of evolution. And by evolution, what do they? Because as we know, bacteria can get resistance to antibiotics and they can do so by changes in their genome, Mm -hmm. so mutations. Mm -hmm. So they want to slow down this mutagenesis process where bacteria get resistance by mutation. Uh Okay. So they have focused on the uh, antibiotic ciprofloxacin and it has the mechanism of action that uh, leads to double-stranded breaks in, in the DNA. Mm-hmm. So you get breaks in the DNA. And when that happens, uh, there is an SOS response that is induced in the bacteria. And this uh, response leads to the production of error-prone DNA polymerases. So they want to fix the DNA, right? Because it's mm-hmm. broken. Mm-hmm. And these polymerases are a bit more sloppy, you can say, mm-hmm. meaning that they make more errors. So you get more mutations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the antibiotic is kind of a stress response that induced this behavior, if I understood it correctly. Yeah, so basically what is happening here is that the antibiotic does what it's supposed to do, Mm -hmm. which is messes up with the DNA replication and then that kills the cells. Mm -hmm. But the cells, they kind of have a mechanism that is trying to repair these breaks Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. happening and it does so with a machinery that is maybe not the best at doing so and that introduces changes in the DNA and leads to mutations. Yes. That then maybe there can be selection for and therefore evolution. Exactly. So, and so, yes, so these mutations can then lead to antibiotic resistance, basically. If they happen in the right places. If they happen in the right place and, yeah, so, and many... 
ifs and buts, but that's the whole idea. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Great. So yes, so they mean that the stress response increased the ability to make genetic mutations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also say that, as we said, that this mutation can confer resistance to Cipro, ciprofloxacin, but they also mean that it can cause mutations that will confer resistance to other kinds of antibiotics that the bacteria haven't even been exposed to. Yeah. And I mean, in theory, that is true. So in principle, any resistance that comes from a point mutation yeah. in any mm. gene on the genome of this bacteria yeah. could be caused as a result of Cipro being there and the mechanism of exactly. action. Because okay. I mean, the mutations are random. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, you will end up with mutations that cause antibiotic resistance. So if you can, you would like to avoid this, right? Yes. That's mm. the... So that's the whole idea, right? So the whole idea behind it. So they screened a small molecule library of 1,120 approved for human use drugs mm-hmm. and looked for drugs that, that could inhibit either the SOS response or the general stress response. Mm-hmm. And they did so in E. coli, looked in E. coli. And they also wanted the compound to not reduce variability of the bacteria. So they don't want it to, by itself, kill bacteria in exactly. any way. Okay. Because if you have something that kills bacteria, this will mean that you will might have a population that won't be affected in the same way, and then you will get resistance. You will select for resistant bacteria. To this particular Exactly, thing. to okay. this mm-hmm. drug mm-hmm. that is... So it's more of a stealth yeah, they're, they're trying to find something that they could give together with an antibiotic, exactly, yes. but it wouldn't really affect the growth, but it would affect the chances of bacteria picking up new mutations. Yes. So they want this drug to slow down the rate of mutation so that the actual antibiotic have time to kill all the bacteria. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get any resistance development. Okay. Mm-hmm. They screen these small molecules and they found decolinium chloride. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for that pronunciation. They shortened it to DEC. Mm-hmm. And this drug inhibits the general stress response, and which also then means that it inhibits cipro-induced mutagenesis. Mm-hmm. All right. So they prove in the lab that this compound, given together with ciprofloxacin, mm. will reduce the chances of extra mutations kind of coming up. Exactly. Okay. So they were able to show that they reduced the development of mutations, yes, as you say. Mutations that confer antibiotic resistance, I should say. Also, okay. Mm-hmm. So they also checked that these mutations, not just general mutations, no, exactly, but also but, for mm-hmm. resistance mm-hmm. to other things. And they tested it both in cultures, so liquid cultures, mm-hmm. when you have bacteria just in the uh, media, and also in a mouse model, so a wound model yeah. that they tested. And they also, which was important for them, did not see any resistance development against this compound. So no resistance development against deck itself yeah all right Mm -hmm. they also pointed out what was important that this uh, mutation slowing effect was shown at very low deck concentrations which is promised if they are going to move on and use this in real in patients so you said that these compounds that they all screen were already approved drugs that were used what is this drug doing or what was it if I remember correctly, it is a topical drug that you use together with another antibiotic, actually, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. vaginal infections, uh, if I remember correctly. All right. So, so if they would use it at higher concentrations, it could potentially also work as a some sort of... They tested it in the mouse model at very low concentrations compared to what the mouses and rats could actually handle, like in toxic levels. Mm-hmm. But that is very promising because, I mean, you want to give a drug... I mean, generally in as low concentrations as possible to have as small effects on the um, uh, patients. Yeah, and all the microbiota. And microbiota. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's nice. Mm -hmm. I I think it's an interesting premise. Yes. I just want to be sure that we put it out there that this process of why 
you know, ciprofloxacin might end up in a higher mutation rate than a bacteria that is not exposed to ciprofloxacin. It's not really because the bacteria, you know, senses the antibiotic and it's like, oh, I need to mutate right now to try to pick up mutations no. that would mm. make me resistant to ciprofloxacin. That's not really the process underlying here. It's just that it's like a kind of like a side effect of mm. how this particular antibiotic works yes. and then it might lead to mutations that mm. as we were saying if they're in the right place mm. they might lead to resistance to mm. other um to other antibiotics yeah. but i think there is it, it, the premise is pretty cool but yes. there is a lot of as you say if and buts in mm. in such a idea i would mm-hmm. say also because one thing that i think is this potential anti-evolution drug, mm. if we can call it like that. Mm, yeah, Even though yeah. it kind of pains me to say that because mm. evolution would always persist. That's what <laughs> I think. <laughs> but this anti-evolution drug would only really work to be given together with antibiotics that are actually having that side effect of mutagenesis yes. as mm. part of their mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that would be the quinolones, right? Yes. As it is right now. Maybe in the future we'll get yeah, some other know, new, new mm. antibiotics. Um, but we also have to acknowledge you know, that a lot of the problems with resistance doesn't come just for pro mutations. You know, there's also big enzymes that are carried on in mm-hmm. uh, plasmids and horizontal gene transfer is also a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So even if this could be a strategy to try to avoid a small percentage of the potential evolution of resistance, mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of things that we need to yes. kind of to get to a world where there would be Yes, no, for effect sure. of the resistance, you know. So, so yeah, I, I think it, it's it's good to put ideas out there. Yes, there is something there, and I really think that it's uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting find. It would be cool if they can actually apply this when treating with ciprofloxacin, since cipro is used to w- some extent. Do they mention at all in the paper if there is some numbers or reports or investigation of how much strains? that come from cipro-treated patients might end up with mutations that make them resistant to other clinically relevant antibiotics. You know what I'm talking mm. about? I'm not sure if they mentioned that. I mean, maybe it's out of the scope of this. This is just yeah. reporting that. But I think but these are the, these are the considerations that. that we need to think mm. about. Mm. It's like, is this really a problem? Mm. Uh, how big of a problem mm. should we try to yeah. to kind of find a way through it, right? So. All in all, every time I come across articles or pieces of research that have to do with the SOS response, the sigma factor and the alarm mode, as it's called P-E-P-P-P, P-P-E-P-P, mm. <laughs> I don't never know. All the time it's very complex articles yes. because the networks, as in the title says here, like regulatory network hub, are so ingrained in mm. how many processes mm-hmm. work in the cell from very basic central mechanisms, like it would be DNA replication, mm. responses to lack of nutrients mm. and how the whole cell changes the metabolism Mm. depending on the environment that it's in, Mm. these are very complex issues. So there is a lot of things that need to kind of be looked within it to try to understand the whole picture and why things are happening. And I I really want to stress that I now also explain it in a quite easy way, but there's a (laughs) lot of more details in the paper and they actually, I think they describe also which actual process that this drug inhibits. So if you want to go down into the real details, there are there Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. read. Of course. And it's also been covered by a lot of um, news outlets, mm-hmm. and they also provide 
provide a little bit of a more uh, easy to understand explanations as well. So there's a lot of reading to be done if you want to about the paper. But I think you did a great job of explaining <laughs> a very complex topic and, and system. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so the more you go into this like SOS rabbit hole, mm. the more you see like, yeah, there's so many yeah, genes it, and, mm. and RNAs and signal molecules and... Yeah. yeah, I mean, and the and the concept was very new to me as well. So it was very interesting. I learned a lot. Yeah, I feel like this the, the whole area of uh, the PPGPP and the stress response mm. and stuff is a bit like Times Square in New Year's Eve, which mm. is like there's so many people, some people know each other, other people don't know. It's like <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then with this, we're gonna move on to our two pieces of policy. Yes. So Eva, some policies then. Yeah. Important stuff. Yeah, two kind of key things that happened in the past weeks. Actually, everything happened very recently. On 13th of June, the Council of the European Union adopted finally a recommendation aimed at stepping up the European Union action to combat AMR in a One Health context. And this is kind of big news. And I think we also should feel a little bit like connected to this because mm. you know this has come under the presidency of the European Union by Sweden which has been this first six months now with these uh, errors it's gonna be the turn of Spain to mm. have the presidency but we know that the Swedish government has had a very strong will that you know policy gets moving in the right direction when it comes to AMR and our Minister of Social Affairs Jakob Forsmet has also been kind of keen of setting up meetings and things these things to move forward so so uh, back in April, there was a um, recommendation that it was sent or proposed to the Council of the European Union to be taken in account and to be signed and to be backed up by the European Union. And through many meetings and discussions and stuff and a little bit of a correction of some uh, parts of the text, I believe. Then back in 13th of June, now they officially they have signed it. They have uh, adopted it. And what it means is that the European Union kind of agrees to see that the parts that are included in this recommendation can happen. And because it's the European Union, the actions of this recommendation have to happen at a member state, which is called. So it's each one of the different member states are the ones that will actually have to kind of make the action mm-hmm. happen. And I mean, what this I- is kind of big, right? It's great news. So for people that are in AMR, I guess this just feels like it's sounding the same alarm Mm, again and again mm, and talking mm. about the same topics. But it is important if we put ourselves outside of our context of work and that we uh, talk about these issues day in and day out. Imagine that you are a politician either in the European Commission or in some of the member states' governments and you have to prioritize among a lot of different policies and where Mm. to allocate the money for a lot of different issues. Mm. And I think having a recommendation that comes from the European Commission might be a reason why maybe some of the money will be allocated Mm. backing up these recommendations Mm. and actions needed. So... In a sense, you know, it's nice that now we have this thing that has been signed after we have the national action plan or the you know global action mm-hmm. plan as well, yep. the different national action plans, which is part of also there. So just briefly talking about it, obviously, we're going to leave links if you want to go read the whole thing or skim through it. And there's a little press release with some details as well. But the aim is to encourage the prudent use of antimicrobials through a series of voluntary measures and taking in account the connection, interconnectivity between human health, animal health and environmental health. So this one health approach. 
And the measures, among many, because I skimmed through it and there's a lot of things <laughs> going on, but include concrete targets to reduce antimicrobial use by 2030, uh, a 20% total reduction in human use and a 50% reduction in the overall uh, use of antimicrobials in food-producing animals mm. and aquaculture mm. for the member states, uh, strengthen the national action plans and help implement them, better surveillance on AMR and antimicrobial use, improve health and well-being of the food-producing animals. And this is something that we have talked about it extensively here yes. in the podcast and here in Sweden, that an animal that is healthy is an animal that doesn't need antibiotics. Yes. But the idea now is that maybe we can try to work really with this concept all throughout mm. the European Union. They are also talking about how important is awareness raising among the public and professionals and mm. the role that education has, both in the veterinary sector and the human health sector as well. And there are some other parts about uh, research and there has to be money allocated for that. Mm. So it's a pretty complete recommendation, yeah. I would say, that focuses on aspects on these three sectors, which are important. Not all of them have to be cross-sectorial. Obviously, many are going to be. Mm -hmm. But it's more about, yeah, we, we agree that this is important and these things need to be done. And I also really like that in the recommendation, they don't only talk, you know, if you say t reduction of 20% in human use across the EU mm -hmm. in general, that's like... Okay, but can we talk more concretely? You yeah. know, what our countries need to do? So in the appendix, there is actually a table which says in every member state, what is the current use? What should be the target of reduction by 2030? So then they can maybe start thinking of measures mm. and thinking if the systems would actually support that kind of reduction mm. or not in the different uh, systems. So all in all, it's good that it exists, you know? Yeah, yeah I think it's really good. And I mean, all of these things are things that we hear a lot about and as you say we've discussed these points a lot in the podcasts but it's great to hear that it's this is now actually being put into use and maybe some action right because that's what we need that something happens we really hope that this kind of i don't know political statements because mm. in all is a political statement mm. saying okay these people come together, they have uh, important meetings and they mm. decide this is something worth putting money mm. and efforts into it. And I think it's also perhaps important that in the road to the United Nations General Assembly of 2024 mm -hmm. in September, which is going to be centered on AMR, the idea is that from there we will come up with a declaration where also countries around the United mm -hmm. Nations can agree to work on and mm. stuff. So I think having the president of the European Union as an also a political has agreed that this is important and they have recommendation. Maybe that also can serve as a point for the declaration yeah. of 2024. Something like that, at least something to work with. We are taking steps in the right direction, I feel. I think so. And talking about the right direction, yes. <laughs> the second piece of policy that we're bringing today is that the WHO, the World Health Organization, has come up with a um, global research agenda, and that means priorities, for antimicrobial resistance in human health. Mm. So here we move away from the One Health perspective mm -hmm. and we move into just human health. And WHO had the question, okay, if we will have to make a list of what research is important to inform policy by 2030, what would be those key topics mm -hmm. in human health? Yes. Can we have concrete research priorities that 
different countries and different bodies, funding bodies can focus on and give the money. And also professionals can focus on making projects around these research priority mm -hmm. topics. Mm -hmm. So on 22nd of June, the WHO came out with this policy brief with a prioritization of 40 research topics for evidence generation to inform policy by 2030. It basically aims at, as I said, catalyzing interest and investment, and it has a global scope. Mm -hmm. So it's not just focusing on high-income countries. It's supposed to represent the necessities and priorities from both low- and middle-income countries and high-income countries. That's great. And it focuses especially in infections by the WHO priority pathogen list, both bacterial and fungal, and also resistance to tuberculosis. How this all came about, because I was very interested most in the process, because obviously the recommendations of the priority list you can see it but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how did they actually do such a yeah exactly a, I difficult mean, how work did they, I would yeah, say how did they decide so on this point what they first did was prepare by reading 3,000 publications from the past 10 years and came out with 2,340 knowledge gaps that they could identify. Mm -hmm. Once they had that massive amount of knowledge gaps they mapped these knowledge gaps against a matrix that would include The research domains, is, that means is either a descriptive potential project, is it a delivery project, is it a developing mm -hmm. project, or is it a discovery, more like kind of curiosity-driven kind of thing. And also three themes uh, that are based on what the WHO is trying to work with now, which is the people-centered framework. Mm -hmm. So is it have to do with prevention? Does it have to do with diagnosis? Or does it have to do with treatment and care mm. within AMR? Once they have covered all this, then they can make sure that all potential research aspects are covered yes. by having this matrix. Mm -hmm. After doing that, they ended up with 175 research topics of importance after the duplication and kind of cleaning up a little bit the list. They used these 175 research topics to be assessed by an expert panel with 234 professionals okay. that know about mm -hmm. AMR. They will have to score these topics according to five criteria. One criteria would be, is it filling critical knowledge gaps in their opinion? Another one would be, is it actually feasible to happen and be done by 2030? Mm -hmm. Does it have a potential of translation to policy? Because that's what they're interested in. Does it have an impact to actually mitigate AMR with this research? And does it promote health equity? which is also important. Okay, so so from these 175 points that they picked out, the, this like expert team mm -hmm. chose their favorite 40s. Well, not really. What they did was to, for each one of these research topics, they will give uh, a score mm -hmm. in each one of these criteria that I just said, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So independently, you are a panel, you get 175, and for each one of them, you have to see, is it filling a critical knowledge gap? Ah, okay, can okay, can okay. it be done by 2040? Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. has a potential transition. And so they will okay. get, so every research topic going through all these professionals mm -hmm. will get a score. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what they did was to then take the 20% top ah, that got the most score okay so that kind of gets the voices of all the professionals mm. but you also get the score in this very important criteria that is was for them mm. and then with that they ended up with 33 research priorities for amr uh, in bacteria and fungi and seven research priorities in tuberculosis for ah, tb okay, resistant tb okay. Of course, I'm not going to mention all these 40 ones. You can go in and, and check it out. The policy brief is brief, and it's one page where you can see all the priority mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, 
projects in, in one page. But just to say that four were focused on prevention, six were focused on diagnosis, 11 were focused on treatment and care, and 12 on cross-cutting initiatives, all for bacteria and fungal, mm -hmm. and seven were focused on questions related to TV. Ah. So it's pretty comprehensive. Mm -hmm. I think, as we were saying before, when I read through this, it's like, of course, this yeah, is important, yeah, yeah. of course. But I think to my view, this is important because it's also a piece that it can be referred to. Yes. Right? I mean, mm. research teams that are in their interfaces working in related projects to this, now they can say, oh, we are asking for money in this call for this because it's a priority mm. research topic the same way as when they came up with a priority pathogen list. Yeah. You know, that was also people would now can justify I'm working with this bacteria, mm. looking for a, for antibiotics to this bacteria mm. because they are part of the pathogen priority list. Mm -hmm. I guess this is going to be a bit similar. This research agenda is there. And if you work and you're applying for money, you can always say, I'm going to focus on these topics that yeah. have been shown to be very important to exactly. inform policy or whatever it you is. can use it to build your case so yeah exactly mm. but i think yeah it's if you read through the list if you have been working in amr for a little mm. bit you will know that there are things you know that could be we need a diagnosis that tell us if it's a bacterial or a viral infection yeah. uh, we need to evaluate how much uh, the use of antibiotics in primary care would affect resistance. You know, things like this, which yeah. are like... But I mean, it's nice that we now also have it all collected in one place, right? Yeah. And, and we have decided that this is important. Yeah, and this is, you know, like it's a lot about a lot about monitoring, honestly. Mm -hmm. Not only monitoring, you know, the use, but also how things affect things, you mm -hmm. know? Like mm -hmm. we need to have evidence that says like, yeah, if we... If we use antibiotics in this way, we will have more resistance or less resistance or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So I think a lot of evidence generating research yeah. is needed. Mm -hmm. And this is what it, it kind of brings forward. Nice. Yeah. So that was my two, perhaps slightly more boring pieces. No, but, but very interesting <laughs> and very important. Yeah, and it's, sure. it's been out there in all the news outlets, yes. like uh, AMR news outlets, yes. as I call it, you know, so I guess you guys also have maybe heard a little bit yeah. about it. So I wanted to, yes, that we mention it. And yes, we of course, it. to spread awareness of these kinds of things. Great. So now after talking about science for so long, mm -hmm. we're going to take a break now for summer. Yes. So what are your summer plans? Oh, a little summer vacation, going to get some sun, do some swimming. Right. We're, Hope the weather stays as nice as it does now. We're having the best, the best summer ever. Ever, I would yes. say, since I've been moved to Sweden. Yes, definitely. really, summers can be quite a little bit, uh, but this year, wow. Today is 27th mm. of June, mm -hmm. 2023, and I think I counted two great days in June this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's been really great. Yeah, for me, the same. I'm yeah. just going to take some time in my balcony. I'm going to take care of my friend's dog for a week. Oh, so I'm going to take that week off and we're just going to go hike and walk around oh. The greenery. Hopefully, mm. my allergies stop by then because otherwise, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. Crossed. But yeah, I think it's going to be great. And um, then we will be back on track for you in September, right? September, mm. correct. Hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful summertime as well. Yes. Bye. Thank you. Bye. For more information about the Uppsala Antibiotic Center, please visit our website. You can find a link in the episode notes. You can also follow us in Twitter. Our handle is UAC underscore UU. This episode was brought to you by the AMR Studios, composed by Eva Garmendia, Jenny Jackman, and Po Chen Tang. 
And a big thank you to Henrik Nys for letting us use his song, Sound the Alarm.